Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being with us again today on this hot and steamy day here in New York. finally feels like summer. At this hour, becoming a real estate agent in New York City is as easy as taking the required classes and passing the state exam, but a lot of what you see, uh, you learn in class won't apply to the real world of real estate, particularly here in New York City. What makes a New York City agent better than another In their, is their experience in the market and their knowledge of the product. I have two young smart agents here with us today, and we will break it down and discuss what it's like to be in this <laughs> the business. The rest of us brought our canes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. Our walkers out front. <laughs> uh, young, new in the business. I mean, you know, whatever. Also at this hour, with sales slowing in New York City and <clears throat> the market shifting toward a buyer's market, if you're looking to buy, you are likely to attempt a lowball offer. Successful offers, brokers say, will involve a mix of homework and diplomacy backed up by liquidity and a solid offer. So how do you make a successful lowball offer? The panel will weigh in on that. But first, you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate, and I am your host, Vince Rocco. In the news this morning, right across from the iconic Grand Central Terminal in Midtown, construction is moving along for the commercial super tall one Vanderbilt. In March, we saw that the building had reached two floors above the distinctive retail uh, podium. We can report that the structure has more than doubled in height over the past three months, now standing 17 floors above street level. The building will eventually top off at 1,401 feet above the street, and SL Green is developing that project. It's been five months since 53 West 53rd Street came within striking distance of its pinnacle. We can now report that the Midtown Super Tall has officially topped out at its highest habitable, habitable floor, which contains the upper portion of a $70 million duplex. The tower's architect, Jean Noval, attended the topping out celebration last week. Though the top floor has been reached, the final uh, tapered peak has not yet been installed. Once it reaches the full height of 10, uh, 1,050 feet, the tower will be tied with the New York Times and the Chrysler Building as the sixth tallest building in the city and the 13th tallest in the United States. Hines is the developer. I didn't realize that the uh, the New York Times and the Chrysler Building were that high up in, in, in the sky and the fifth and sixth tallest buildings in the world in New York. Interesting. Yeah, these days. Well, these days, yeah. Anyway, as anyone who has circled and circled and circled on an ever-widening uh, radius of blocks looking for a parking spot, that infamous parking spot, will tell you that a few New York City... Rituals are as maddening, especially late at night. Apparently, the process also taps into our reptilian brain, triggering the most basic flight or flight instincts and aggression, which is why if you've got a car and you're thinking about moving to a certain neighborhood, it's important to assess the on-street parking situation before you move, of course. The other alternative is to park in a garage. Sometimes the cost of that far outweighs the drama and the stress of trying to find a parking space. Why do I bring this up? I don't know. Somebody said to me recently, you know, I just moved into my apartment and I didn't realize that parking on my street was going to be so bad. I probably would have looked elsewhere. And just as that person said that to me, I'm researching topics for this week. And I saw this story and thought this can't even, you know, be possible. There are apps that can help. I mean, they're not going to tell you where you can find an open street parking spot, but right. for alternate sides and all of that. I've had a car in, in the city for 20 plus years, and, and I say, what what is wrong with parking in a garage? Yes, it costs money, but you know what? In the summertime, it's protected. In the wintertime, you're not digging it out from snow and, 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 and damage from snow plows and, and cars going by and, and mirrors being broken off. I mean, so four or $500, 
a month, you know, I mean, it's a lot of money, but you're probably better off for it. And you have no stress and no drama, right? True. It's a good idea that you I, could figure that out, the car parking app situation. I'm going to leave That's, that to you, Niall. I mean, well, we got two really young millennial yeah, agents. The, the young millennial. Maybe they can help us out. I'm not a coder. So far from a young I just got a parking spot in my co-op. Oh, I thought you were born to know that. I did, okay. and it's like half the price and I'll tell you I'm actually using my car now Yeah, really? because when you get nice. when you do an alternate side park yeah. you don't want to ever use your car because you don't want to lose the spot right. True. so now I'm actually driving and who wants to sit in your car for like two or three hours waiting for the you know the street cleaner to come from one oh, side God. of the street to the other that's, that's even worse than wanting to lose your spot it's right? Awful. so it's yeah. terrible anyway I'm a proponent of garages do it our lead topic today is an agent's life and sometimes it's not what I expected or what you expected or anybody expects when they come into this business. And as I said at the top of the show, becoming a real estate agent in New York City is as easy as taking the required classes and passing the exam. But a lot of what you learn in class won't apply to the real estate world here, particularly in New York City. Because as we always talk about on this program, we, we transact business in real estate far different than anybody else anywhere in the world. What makes New York City a New York City agent better than the next person is their experience in the marketplace and knowledge of the product. Our apartments and all of our houses and townhouses are what we consider products. So you've got, got to get really uh, good about all of that stuff so you can intelligently speak to your clients about it. The more deals an agent does, here's the, the, the crux of it all. The more deals an agent does, the more he or she learns about the market, the sales processes, and its ups and downs. But even before your first deal, there are a variety of things that an agent can do to learn this business. And once your first deal happens, you will begin the journey of what we call a real estate career in New York City. And, you know, you build on your confidence, you build on your credibility, and then hopefully you're on your way. So we have two guests today. Alec Eisenberg works at CORE as a licensed real estate salesperson. He was born in New York City and raised in Westchester County, and he brings a wealth of knowledge from a commercial real estate background, uh, providing his clients with exceptional real estate services that satisfied both buyers and sellers. Prior to pursuing a career in real estate, Alec played Division I baseball at Hofstra University, where he graduated with a bachelor's degree in marketing. He had the opportunity to travel extensively through co uh, during college, playing baseball in cities across the United States, which gave him a thirst to explore and travel whenever he gets the chance. Also with us today is Rustin Lowe. He works at Compass as a licensed real estate salesperson with a background in marketing and brand management. Rustin understands the unique audience of each of his listings and provides an exclusive marketing campaign to ensure a successful sale. His experience in the field brings his clients a seasoned professional with a true competitive advantage. Rustin's a graduate of the University of Texas, and he developed a deep root practice of uh, meticulousness and preparedness before coming to real estate. He worked with Paramount Pictures and then produced his own original international uh, web series. So good morning, guys. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So, I, you know, we can start at the beginning, and the beginning says, why did you choose a career in real estate? What, you know, the world wants to know more often than not, even as successful agents who have been in this game for a long time, people still ask me, why, why are you a real estate agent? Why did you choose after, you know, many other careers to become a real estate agent? So what, you know, what was the impetus for you to say, okay, this is what I want to do in the greatest city in the world, and I'm going to be successful? Why? So I personally chose to become a real estate agent because I wanted something where I could create my own business, kind of control the work I put in and, and get the results from that. And at the same time, I wanted to be able to help people while doing so. Um, so, you know, seeing the, the smile on someone's face after you find them where somewhere they're going to live is uh, 
Well, there's, Pretty a, fulfilling. there's a tremendous amount of satisfaction when you're working with buyers or sellers. If you're selling somebody's home successfully, they're happy. You're buying somebody a home, they're happy. Russell, what was it for you that said, okay, so I'm not only coming to the greatest city in the world, which is very competitive, but I'm going to now take on a career that's like, wow. So it was more about the first part, the coming to the greatest city in the world. The second part about joining real estate, it actually was more of my friends that kind of decided for me. A lot of people were telling me I should do it, I should do it. And for while I was getting my license and while I was like feeling it out, I actually kept it very quiet for a long time because I wanted to make sure it was something I was actually very interested in, not just the idea. Um, and, you know, I always say like, if you love New York, you'll like New York real estate, but you have to love New York. Because if you don't, I mean, that's really like the one variable. You do. You have to love New York, but you also have to know New York. So let me ask both of you. So when you know when you when you'd made this decision and you decided to come into this industry, did you at any point think it was going to be easy? I'll answer the question first for me. I thought it was going to be a snap. I thought it was going to be the easiest thing in the world. I had business experience. I had been buying and selling my own apartments for seven years with a broker. I was not in the industry. I thought I knew everything about co-ops. I thought I knew everything about condos, whatever. Until I became a real estate agent and I realized after sitting at my desk for 30 days thinking, what the <laughs> hell did I do? Yeah. Did you think it was going to be easy? To be honest, I thought it would be easier than it is. By no means did I think it would be easy, but I don't think I realized how large the agent pool was. There's thousands of agents and there's so much competition and everybody knows Manhattan. So I don't think I really realized, I guess, how large it, it is here in Manhattan. What, what is that? Just a number of agents, 30,000, 40,000 licensed in the New York City area, uh, something like that? The last I heard was like 30,000. Yeah, tens licensed. of yeah. thousands of agents yeah. for everyone out there. That's a huge, okay, good cool, agents. super That's competitive. Like I mean, I, I, I just had to do continuing education, which is, you know, we have to renew our license every two years. And so I was at uh, NYREI yeah. and the salesperson's class, the, you know, the, the class that you take to, to become a real estate agent. I, I mean, I don't even know. There were hundreds of people in this class. Hundreds of people. Every was, I was there like for three or four days or yeah. nights. So I couldn't believe the amount of people going through the salesperson's class and thinking, wow, all of these people want to become real estate agents. Isn't Especially that since so much of it is not relevant to New York City that yeah. you're learning in those, in those classes. I mean, it's... Well, that's another thing too, yeah. You, you, and, but at that stage, you don't know what to filter out. You learn about house gutters, right? And and studs exactly. and, and that bunch of other things yeah. that you think, well, you know what? You I remember hearing my dad to, talk yeah. about that There's stuff. Like, what do I need about that? 90% of the, the people or something like that, it's a very high percentage, like well more than the majority, don't do the transactions or do the continuing education that you're talking about every two years to renew. But yeah, we still keep this high number, which means that that many more people coming in that only like <clears> 10% or so are actually... Continuing. And and sadly, the statistic is that um, a lot of people, and I don't remember the number, we talked about it a couple of weeks here on the show, but a lot of people who come into the business are like two years and under and leave because they realize that, you know, in that time that it's really, really very difficult. You know, we have Ari over here <clears> who's who was a superstar from almost day one, Anna, the same thing, all of you guys. But, you know, and I remember, and I always talk about Ari because I remember when he first started in our office so many years ago, and not even that many actually, and, you know, he's number More two. More than you the, think. <laughs> more than I think, yes. probably, yeah. But like number two team in the company. I mean, so it's kind of like, you know, how do you do this? And so what I want to find out from you guys is, you know, before we go to break, where do you find that motivation every day? Because 16 years in the business, and I still have to motivate myself most days, and especially a day like today, to get out of bed and say, God damn it, it's nice and cool in this house. I don't want to go out. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> how do you do it? Because this is a stressful kind of, you know, awakening every day thinking, all right, what am I doing next? What is my plan for the day? And how am I going to find that next customer? And that's all, you know, 
self-motivating, right? I'd say that the two main things that keep me motivated, number one being my family. I'd like to be able to support them the way they supported my brother and I our entire lives. Wow. So that keeps me really, really moving. And then the second thing is the, the brokers I work with. Can I adopt you? <laughs> I'm up for grabs. You can ask my parents. I'll babysit him every now and, available and then. For rent. And I'd, I'd say the, the brokers I work with, I get to see the, the work these industry <clears throat> titans put in every single day, and they're already at the top, and just to keep going. So it, it kind of keeps me focused and, and wanting to get to that level. All right, we've got to take a break, but we will be back uh, to finish this discussion. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. We'll be back after these uh, commercial messages. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back. I've been talking to Alec Eisenberg and um, Rustin Lowe, plus the panelists here, Anna Shagaloff from Halstead, uh, Niall Lundgren from Compass. Uh, where are we? Greg Moore is from <laughs> Compass. <laughs> it's not a good day today. And Ari Harkov from Halstead. So I want to get back to the motivation uh, question where we, we self-motivate or we try to self-motivate every morning to go out. Good days, bad days, because in real estate, you know, you have all your ups and downs. Rustin, so what, what do you, do you have a ritual in the morning when you get up that gets you psyched and pumped to get out there on the streets and, and get this job knocked and done and do. finished? I'm a big self-help nerd. I have like expo like marker on my uh, on my bathroom mirror that I like read when I brush my teeth and all that good stuff. But um, I think the big motivating factor is that I went through all the steps to do the like office job that I thought was what I really wanted to do. And I got that um, when I was back in L.A. at Paramount. And I was doing, you know, the nine to five, exactly what I always thought I wanted to do. And I was just miserable. It was just not I wasn't in control of my own career. There was a cap by someone else and what I could do. 
Um, and so I think that's really what pushes me is like, if I want to actually make something of myself and like build the business on my own and not follow the route that someone else built for me, I have to get out there and do it because no one else is. Yeah, I think the key is, with which I don't think a lot of people understand as they're first coming in, that this is an entrepreneurial career. This is your own little, I used to say this is your own little candy store. When I used to hire agents all the time at my former company, <clears throat> I'd say, do you want to run a candy store? And they'd look at me like, what are you talking about? Candy <laughs> man. Right? Because <laughs> you can grow that candy store to a major you know, enterprise, but you start with a candy store, okay? It's small. You, you're building blocks. You get yourself up there. And you manage yourself, and you manage your business, and you manage your clients. And so a lot of people can't do that. You've got to be a self-starter. You've got to be self-motivating uh, to be able to do that. What are your goals? You know, so you come in. How, how long are you in the business, Alec? I've been in real estate for two years, residential for like a year and a half or so. A year and a half. About the same. About the same. All right. So how do you set goals as a year and a half, two years in? You uh, have decided to make this a long-term career. You want to be successful. You want to be like the titans, as you say, you know, some of the uh, people out there who do really, really well. How do you set your goals and how do you set your timelines or do you? So for me right now, I'd say that my main goal is just to double my business each year. And I think that can kind of keep you focused because if you sell one apartment your first year, then the next year you want to do two, then four. It's just, it's just a simple way without getting too in-depth of numbers and kind of keeping yourself focused on just doubling but do you have daily goals, weekly goals, or just kind of long-term, this is where I want to be by a certain port, uh, period of time or after X amount of months, or is it sort of like you change them up as they, as they come along? I think I kind of change them up as they come along. Um, I'd like to, by year five, have done $25 million in business that specific year. So I want to double it to the point where by year five, that's what I'm doing in one year. So year five, you want to sell $25 million in real estate? Correct. Um, I just reevaluated my goals, actually, because I feel like it's really easy to get down on yourself if you set a number amount and you then your brain gets in the wrong place, I think. You start focusing on like the numbers rather than the people. Um, so now my goals are more about what can I do to actually provide service in, you know, I mean, they the whole industry is changing and how <clears> people have access to the same information. And that used to be our job. So now it's like, what can I do to really provide value? during this process and what can I do to check in with them every day and go through the processes of seeing where am I on with this client and what can I do with them? And that's where my goal is now where it used to be, you know, this year I want to close this amount of deals and I want to do this amount of business because it's really just easy to get down on yourself if that's just not happening. And there's a lot of factors that can go into that. So I don't know. It was really easy to find myself bummed out if I wasn't doing what I thought I would do transaction wise. Yeah, before we move on, I just wanted to point out a couple of things um, uh, where I think when you first start out in the business, and I know you do it, Rustin, because I see your, your posts all the time, and so do you, Alec, but go out and see as many apartments as you possibly can. There inventory. are broker tours all over the place. Learn the inventory. As we said at the top of the show, your experience and your knowledge and your journey starts with learning you know, the product and understanding what the New York real estate industry is all about, and that's how you build your confidence and your credibility. The second one is study listings and neighborhoods. If you find some downtime in the office, I remember doing that. Halstead used to have a tour every Wednesday or Thursday, I can't remember, on the Upper West Side, and I used to take that tour, and I did that for almost two years. Went around a little bus, and we went to all the new listings that were you know, out that week by all the different brokerages who will put them out, and I would learn what a classic six was. I'd learn what a five-room was versus a classic five, etc. So you go out, you learn what the industry is. You learn the neighborhoods. We're all New Yorkers, but we don't know every neighborhood, right? I've learned almost every neighborhood as an agent, but before that, I knew where I lived, and I knew where I worked, and that's pretty much it, where I went and socialized with friends, but not much else. 
when you meet clients, they're going to say, hey, what about this neighborhood? Do you recommend it? And if you do, why? You need to know that, right? Tour new construction sales centers. I, you know, new construction in this town, new development condos, whatever you want to call it. Big, big hot potato, right? Everybody wants to do new development. You've got to understand <laughs> what new development is. You've got to go check it out. You've got to see the sales offices, see what they're offering, because all that kind of stuff is important. And, you know, people ask me all the time, how do I do that? Make appointments to preview. Very simple. I, I work in new developments. I have people come to preview all the time. Uh, so it's really easy. Review a condo and a co-op board package. My God, if I can't <laughs> even, you know, I, I would start and Please. end with just that. Please. <laughs> Please. You learn the business by understanding what a condo or a co-op board package yeah. is all about because it's the most excruciating part of our business. It's the most stressful part of our business. <laughs> but unless you understand that, you're not going to understand what the business is all about. So these are the things. Start reading blogs, press, listen to podcasts, industry news, practice doing a condo or co-op financial disclosure statement. That's another one. You know, you get your board package and you've got to do with the financial statement. I can't tell you how many new agents of mine used to look at this and say, well, I mean, so where do I begin? Where do I get all this information? Well, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Yeah. It, it, and sometimes even for senior people, it's overwhelming because every board package is different and the depth of what they're looking for <clears> sometimes <throat> is incredible and sometimes they're easier. But you start with your clients. You sit them down. You go, you go through the financials. And obviously, we know trying to get financials out of clients is not always the easiest thing in the world. Right? <laughs> Can I ask a question? So you guys have come into the business in the past two years or so, 3DZ, Premier Agent, et cetera. Where are you finding you're getting business from? What are you finding your biggest challenges are as new agents coming in where we are in the cycle today? Because it's very different for you than it was for me 10 years ago. So I've actually personally tried the Premier Agent. Um, and I found with with that, that it's hard to lock down those specific clients because they're reaching out to tons of agents. They're not just reaching out to you. Sure. And in order to keep them, you have to bring value from the get-go. So I think as long as you can bring one piece of value, it's easier to get clients. And as for, as for um, I guess, getting new business, drumming up new business, I'm trying to focus on my marketing. I know Rustin does the same. Uh, social media is huge now. And I think that that's where you can kind of run with that if you have a, a larger following. Are we're you the, getting business from social media? I'm, I've had a few um, contacts off of my social media page. We're, we're, going to, we're going to talk about that as a group, uh, yeah. social media, but that's important. But that, that's a very good question, Ari. But before we go to break, please explain to the audience, because you are not new. You were, you've been around for a long time. You're very successful. But you were these guys at one point, as we all were. So how? just give us a, a, a quick, you know, how you got from point A to point B and really sort of really successfully. Um, so when I started, one of the things that we did a lot was cold calling for sale by owners, which I know is much more challenging today than it once was, but I did a lot of that and that's how I got initial pieces of business. And what I found was that business beget, business begets business. So you get a listing from a for sale by owner, you meet a buyer through that, you work with that buyer, they refer you to someone and kind of builds from there. I also found that I would sort of pick up the runoff from more senior uh, agents. So I would do their open houses for free in exchange for buyers. I'd give them a referral fee if I picked up a buyer. Um, they'd get like a little one bedroom or studio listing that they didn't want and I would be happy to take it and I would turn that into three or four listings in the building and two buyers. Um, and it kind of grew from there. And then I would say um, it's really just kind of like the way we think about it is blocking and tackling every day, like making your calls, writing your cards, doing your emails, following up your texts, your social, etc. And no one thing works, but you do it all over time and you keep focused. Um, I think one of the biggest issues you run into the business, and, and you were saying it earlier, is 
your ability to handle rejections and rejection and quickly bounce back is the difference between success and failure in real estate. That's so great. this is like Amen. a show business <clears throat> career. I mean, if you can't That's take it. rejection, I mean, you're you know you're you're dead in the water. You're right? dead in the water. So the thing is, it doesn't matter where you are. You could be doing two deals a year or two hundred deals a year. You're dealing with rejection. I had a business coach who I had hired when I started my team about five years ago, and what he said was if, you know, let's say 10% of your business is problematic or you're dealing with rejection or failure, the more you grow, the more failure, rejection, and issues you deal with. It's just a numerical odds game. So I have it every day. I lose pitches every day. I have a client that gets mad at me. I have a client who's upset with an agent. We have a deal that falls through. It happens every single day, and your ability to just keep moving forward and keep your eye on the prize, I think that separates the good and the great agents. And also the the agents that last more than a year, like you. Correct. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like we say, it can be a thankless <clears throat> thankless uh, position sometimes for us all. But also on the on the other flip side of that, it could be very lucrative and it can be a very very satisfying career. You know, and the longer you you do it, the longer you're in the game, the more confidence you get. I I always use the same two words: confidence and credibility. Because really, you know what? That's what it comes down to. If <clears throat> you are confident in yourself your clients or whoever you're speaking to are going to feel you know what you're talking about. You are a confident person and you're going to help them sincerely get to the next step. So before we go to break, you guys are going to stick around for the whole show, but before we go to break, what, you know, do you, what do you see in the future? I mean, you've been at it this now almost, I don't know, two years, right? Each, what do you, what do you see in the future? Obviously great success, but, <laughs> but what do you, what do you really see in this business for yourself? For myself personally, yeah. I my 10-year plan is I want to have a team in four domestic U.S. cities and then eventually two international. That's my big goal. That's my like, that's the train I'm on. I know it's very lofty, but that's um, but that's okay. That's what I want to go there for. There are steps to get there, right? I know you don't like the word steps, but when we <laughs> steps to get there, right? You'll do it. I'm going to also also ask you teams. Are you working on teams now? I don't really remember. So I'm. I'm a mentee of Steve's, the Steve Snyder team. Right. Uh, Core has rolled out a new program where it's mentor-mentee relationship. Right. So I'm not currently a sub-agent. Oh, but I'm, okay. I'm, I'm working with Steve. On all of his stuff? or On, on, on my business. Got whatever it. I bring in. I was solo for the year that I was at Core, and then I joined a team at Compass. Um, the, the, there's not enough business to keep me busy, so I'm actually looking for a team that has more business there. So I'm in the process of active, I call it dating, not marrying. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing a bunch of open houses for brokers and seeing where Put it, putting the feelers best. out there. Yeah. And also when you're, when you're, he's a big team guy here, but when, when you're really looking for a team or talking about teams, you got to make sure that the energy is right for you. Right. The chemistry is right for you and the overall, you know, atmosphere of that team, because there are teams that could be very successful, but just not right for you right. individually. It's so that's very important when you do ways. that. All right, we're going to talk more about all of this stuff after the break. You are listening to Good Morning New York here in New York, live from Blast Off Productions. We will be back right after these messages. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel. 
every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back with Alec Eisenberg from Core, Greg Moores from Compass, Preston Lowe from Compass, Anna Shagalov from Halstead Real Estate, and Niall Lundgren, Compass, and Ari Harkoff from Halstead. So, we talked a little bit about millennials before, and let's get into it with social media. Millennials have made social media bigger than it ever was before. They were the first generation to rely on social media. You will almost never see them without a phone in their hands or without it sitting on the table in front of them, right? As a result, social media is now bigger than ever, not only for social purposes, but for business as well. Social media marketing has, in and of itself, become one of the most influential ways to promote virtually any business product or service. Social media is not dying anytime soon, as the generation to come already relies on social media even more than the current millennials. And by the way, I am not a millennial, and this phone is never out of my hand or, exactly. or not in front of me. So we learn. just a real estate agent. Yes. We, exactly. yeah. Yeah. we learn very well from the, from the millennials of, of, our, of our world. So, yes. you know, a couple of questions here. So, you know, Ari asked uh, Alec before about, you know, how are you getting customers. So my question is, how is this, all of you, how is this affecting or how has it affected your business. current business today? Because it is very different than what you said before <clears throat> 10 years ago. I mean, we didn't do this, right? We had no idea that this was even in the running. Back when I started, I mean, I don't even think I had a cell phone at all. I mean, that dates me pretty Like a beep. Oh, I remember my <laughs> first black. I started yeah. in 2001. And yeah. I mean, you were just married to your computer screen. Yeah. And then when you left, you were just completely clueless to what was going on until you got back to your computer screen. And it was kind of counterproductive because you needed to be out there, but you couldn't be out there without the information. And if you needed to call a client, you either had to run back to the office to call a client or if, if there was a phone booth on a corner yeah. somewhere. Right? I must have wow. had a cell phone oh in God. 2001. I had but, mine. I mean, I had this mine. social media thing But you didn't is have email the thing, or you had BlackBerry I, maybe. I had, I think I had a BlackBerry shortly thereafter, yeah. but it was a very, very difficult way to start out in this business because you couldn't connect with everybody. I mean, you guys have the advantage that you have peers that you can talk to at all times of the day and banter with all times of the day, where when I started back back in the old ages, um, it was like each each man, each woman for themselves. And um, so going into like this world of social media, I mean, if, if you can't get with it, then you're just going to be shut out. And didn't you, didn't you feel like back in those I days, mean, get think, with it, people. Get with it, people. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think for, for marketing purposes, you have, to, you have to do what you have to do for your sellers. I was actually talking about this with a colleague yesterday about, you know, the, the beauty of picking up the phone and talking. And so I sit next to Ari's team, and they are always cold calling, and they're always on the phone. And me and my team are next to them, and we're always typing, <laughs> and we have some phone calls going through, and it works for us, and we're fine. But it's it's super impressive to you know hear people pick up the phone and talk, and make actual contact. But that's a buyer thing more than a seller thing, Absolutely. I think. Well, but for sale buyer, well, it can I mean, be a seller thing. It, but, communicating. But, but, but let me ask you something. At the point you made just before, you, you know, you felt like you were alone out there. I was going to say the same thing when I first started in two thousand and two. It was like. I had a cell phone, but, you know, it, it was not like it is today. There was no social media. So I really felt like I'm in this by myself, you know. Oh, it's like, it, it was completely, wow. yeah. 
you know, the only interaction I'd have is when I'd go back to the office and talk to my fellow brokers. But, you know, it's kind of like I felt like I was alone. Now, even though it's it's we're, we're still all independent contractors and alone, but because I think of social media, everything is all out there. Everybody sees what you do. It's not like you're you're working in a in a vacuum. Everybody knows what you're up to. Everybody know, knows what your listings are. Everybody sees what your listings are. And it's you a know, double-edged sword. Though. I have well, I'm going to get to that. And yes. I have had some success because of social media. So, Niall, what 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 has it done for your business, or has it? I mean, yeah. So I've been in the business for ten years. I'm actually Instagramming live right now. So if you want to follow me at Niall Lundgren, I'm doing that <laughs> on purpose. Check me out. <laughs> um, so I've been in the business for ten years. I started with the whole Craigslist ad leads and ads, and I had a, a BlackBerry when I first started, and I'd run around the city with a hundred pieces of paper, and I'd go to these Wall Street buildings that would pay the commission. So that was how I got my foot in the door. I was one of the early adopters of social media in real estate. So I would, you know, started to do posts. And uh, I think Instagram stories really changed how the business is working. I mean, when you think about how like impressive real estate is, quote unquote, when you watch the TV shows, everyone wants to do it. That's why you see 30,000 people being an agent. The, the thing that social media does is it allows you to create your own reality show every single day. So you could, if you, the thing is you have to be very strategic about it and be smart about telling a story, not just posting a picture of your coffee and then, you know, a picture of a $3 million apartment and then your dog. But like, if you're doing that, you know, tell a story. I'll still of, follow you. If yeah. yeah, by the way. yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone loves dogs. Exactly. Thanks. You know, dogs are great. Yeah. So no, it's no, a good story to me. No, but, but, but that's right. a that's a really good point. You have the Put ability to create into it. your own story. And if you tell a story, you know, American culture, they laud the folks that create these stories, the big directors, whoever it is. So you have the ability to do that every single day. Hey, you and, know, and that's why in why uh, real estate is is revolutionized by social media. It's really changing how everyone can connect. What I would say when I first started was if man, if everyone could see how awesome of a day I just had. When I, when I started in the business, one of my mentors said, if you can see one new apartment per day, that's a good day. That, that constitutes a good mm-hmm. day because you're building your inventory list. Now I could just take a quick video and show everyone how cool it is. A lot of people are in desk jobs and they see us walking around showing all these different apartments, looking at cool views in different neighborhoods. And the way that we tell those stories, that's how we get people to, to contact us and say, oh man, you know, I was looking at something in the Lower East Side. Tell me about it. I love Boom. two words I've always loved in my life and in whatever career I've been in. Storyteller is one of them and filmmaker is another because Instagram <laughs> stories or whatever, social media, y- you, you hit the nail right on the head. Yeah. Greg, thumbs up or down, social media? Thumbs for sure up. I think what it does is it also separates um, the, the really good agents who are really good marketers from, from the rest of us. We, we all have a voice. We all have a camera on our phones. It's easy to share our day. Um, but more importantly, it's easy to copy someone just as well. So you can rip pictures from anywhere. You can go take great pictures and post it up, but that's not going to really do much of anything if you're not kind of weaving who you are into it. So I think the social media thing is, is important because we all have to put ourselves in that position to show what we're seeing, what we're doing, what we're selling, what we're trading, who we are. Um, but it's also a lot of the times easy to look at these mega agents or mega business people who are doing crazy things and taking pictures on yachts every day and trying to find a way to communicate that same message to our clients. I'm still looking we, for my yacht. <laughs> we want to we be that. I know you're on the yacht tomorrow. So. I'm on the yacht today. Exactly. <laughs> Just, yeah. it's, it's parked in my garage. Exactly. But I, I think it, it, dil- it dilutes the important message, which is you, you really do have to be who you are. 
Um, and there is a middle ground between walking that uh, line and, and, and not. To Greg's point, I think that um, let's not devalue the who you are part because we get an inside scoop in all of our clients. We get to know their personal lives and we can actually share our personal lives now with the world and it makes us human. It's not Very just, important. we're not the B word. I actually don't like the B word broker. I think there's such a negative connotation with that. There is. And mm-hmm, when, yeah. you, when, when we are what we are, you can put yourself out there as a human being with a family and you're out there in the city enjoying it and you're loving your work, but you also are human. Personality, 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 personality overrides yes, everything, everything and people yeah. connect to personalities. Right. Justin, sorry. I always say the New York buyers are like sharks and they will smell blood in the water the second that you say anything that's not genuine. So I have a bunch of power teams that'll come to me because yes. I have a very large social media following and they'll be like, teach me exactly what you're doing. How do I follow your exact structure? And my point is always, you can't. Like you have to find what works for you and gets you across in an effective way. Because if you just try to just follow some, like, here's the steps of success for social media, you'll fail. You have to be you. It has to be genuine to who you are and your energy level. Can I, can I add a point? So I, just to play devil's advocate a little bit, um, to your point, and about you know being on the phone, what have you. So my experience has been I've asked a lot of agents this question, how much direct business have you gotten from social media? And my experience has been little to none from every life. single agent I've talked to. Maybe you're unique. I've done deals um, from social media. So people get like a few deals here and there, but I would say I've talked to almost no one who the majority of their business and a substantial amount of business is coming from social media. My perspective, and you guys can agree or disagree, is that social media and all this marketing is there to augment your business. Yes, that's but Fundamentally, the business is actually the same. The way we think about it, our team is in person is the best, on the phone is second best, email, text, interactions like that are you know sort of third best, and social media is there to kind of back it up. Right. But fundamentally, I think what a lot of new agents, the mistake they make is thinking that business is coming out of their phone or out of the computer. Business is coming like face to face and on the phone, and that's why I'm on the phone hours and hours and hours every day, and that's why we're doing the amount of volume that we're doing. Hundred and twenty percent. It unlocks the door. You still have you, to open you it. You nailed it. I mean, because that's yeah, it's exactly a back, it's, it's a people business. It's, it's still a people business, and it will always be a people. And it will business. always be a people. And so business. instead of you know mailing like we used to mail the mailroom downstairs used to be overflowing with you know letters going out, uh, postcards going out. Mm-hmm. We've sort of replaced that more, I think, with social media, which I happen to think is better, uh, or email blasting. But you're right. I mean, it's still a people business. People still want to touch and feel. They still want to see you. They still want to understand who you are, what you have to offer, what you mm-hmm. have to say. So they may see something, but the best part of all of it is if they call you and say, hey, Vince, or hey, Ari, or hey, Anna, the, you know, the, I saw this property and I want a little more information yeah. on it. It's the person-to-person interaction that's also going to get you mm-hmm. the referrals from those people. Correct. Marketing Correct. And, that's, and referrals are everywhere. You have to open it. You have yeah, to like, no matter what it is, if it's a mailer, if it's like cold calling, whatever it is, it's like you you still have to be there for that person to person interaction to connect with the client. The best part about social media is it doesn't take much. Okay, it's fairly simple. It 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 goes um, uh, relatively quickly. You post something, bang, it's done, and now it's out there for the universe to see. One last question on social media: Do you fear? At all, and I think you alluded to this, Rustin, before uh, of overexposure, because a lot of people say sometimes, "Oh my God, too much." I Any was, fear of that. 
I think there are agents who are relying on it too much and think that it's going to be the engine for their business. And in fact, it's not. Um, and I think there are consumers who just get sort of like bombarded. Like, I don't need to see another picture of an apartment. Like, I get it. I get who you are, what you're doing. It's a bit too much. Mm -hmm. There is an element, you know, if you think about how we are as human beings, we all want what we can't have. And there's an element of discretion. You look at the way some buildings are being marketed now. They're not being actively marketed as a way to get people more interested. So you've got to leave a little bit, you know, sort of unknown to make people want to come to you. If you're out in the world too much, I think it's overkill. So okay. you're I think real estate marketing is balance. You know? And also understanding who your client is, because if, if I'm working with a wealthy millennial, somebody that just came into a lot of money, yes. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of a different conversation. It's a different way of communicating with them than it would be somebody that's bought and sold and they're, you know, a little bit older and they have more experience in real sure. estate. So you really have to know who you're working with and, and what works for them. Just reading your client pool. All right, let's move on. So let's talk about chickens. Making a frittata and eggs fresh from your backyard chicken coop is the <laughs> ultimate farm-to-table experience, right? Who doesn't like farm-to-table? And raising chickens in Brooklyn in their backyards these days is easier than you might think. Chicken Who coops? has the time? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. Chicken coops are becoming increasingly popular for Brooklyn owners who want to go a step further than a backyard vegetable garden. And local chicken owners say hens, not roosters, because they're illegal can be rewarding and relatively low-maintenance <laughs> pets. I mean, really? You want a chicken as a pet? Chicken coop and Just when you thought Brooklyn was weird enough, <laughs> it goes ahead and well, brings the, in chicken I, coops. I mean, listen, <laughs> and, you know, this one guy says, we thought it would be fun to have as a hobby, uh, and he raised chickens behind his Borm Hill townhouse for the past eight years. We had two young children at the time, and they thought it was fun to have as pets. So my question is, what's in a chicken? And uh, why would you want to have chickens in your backyard? Because they are noisy and they are smelly. I mean, I get the fresh uh, eggs. I just don't want to really? be the neighbor to the chicken coop. <laughs> I mean, no. I would never have one. I can't even keep a plant alive. But um, to be the neighbor, I mean, and hearing all that clucking, they should be illegal with the roosters. Well, I think if you look at what's happening just in, in, in terms of food, people are looking for farm-to-table or organic yeah. options. More sustainable. sustainable. Any yeah, sustainable. Right. They, don't want, they don't want to go to the grocery store and guess if, you know, how the conditions were of that rooster or hen or chicken or whatever it is. <laughs> they want to know that it's, you know, top. And that's how they can do that. One out. of the reasons I brought this story to the to the table today is because I was reading it and I laughed out loud and I thought, well, you know, Greg said, you know, one, you hear something about Brooklyn or whatever. But, you know, I think it's wonderful. And I think if you have a backyard and there are Absolutely. a lot of backyards in Brooklyn or in the burbs outside of uh, the boroughs, rather, outside of Manhattan, why not? I mean, you know, I, think I, it's I a, personally it's would a trend. be confused or not like the smell maybe or the noise, whatever, but um, it's a Look, trend. That's and, how they you know. used to do it. It's a trend that's coming back. I was recently in Turks and Caicos. And Brooklyn is hot. And so, I was at yeah. a, in, uh, a very nice, like, uh, villa resort destination, and it has a chicken coop in the back. Because if you're going to be there and, and look at have one of the best beaches in the world, you might as well have your fresh eggs when you're, when you're waking up in the morning. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, why not? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? All right, we got to take a break. We're live from Blastoff Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. We'll continue on the other side of the break. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. 
It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Alec and Greg and Rustin and Anna and Niall and Ari. And our last segment, I want to talk about with sales slowing in New York City, and the market shifting towards a buyer's market. If you are looking to buy, you are likely to attempt a lowball offer. And there's a lot of that going on these days. And I'm dealing, I was telling these guys earlier, I'm dealing with that since last night, actually yesterday afternoon. Successful offers, brokers say, will involve a mix of homework and diplomacy backed up by liquidity and a solid offer. But when it comes to writing the actual lowball offer letter, what do you say to convince someone to part with their apartment for less money than they want or they expect it? How do you spin your words to make sellers part with what is arguably their most uh, prized possession. Uh, for advice on the language to use, Brook, Brick Underground recently obtained two successful letters which were written by buyers brokers and asked our own Ari Parkov here at Halstead uh, to explain how or why this can be effective. So, mister, <laughs> um, give us the scoop. So, okay, the first thing we do in our team is we think about data. So you need to present someone with facts. If you think your property's worth, whatever, a million bucks and the comps are saying 850, you need to show them hard, cold data. And one of the things, maybe this is an aside or maybe this is relevant, but we actually did this with a seller recently. We took one of our sellers around and we showed them competing properties on the market. I've done that. And they took took an offer that they were not going to take because they realized, wow, our apartment really is beat up compared to these that are selling for 2526 and we have an offer of 23. We're not going to get it. So it's an aside, but it's relevant in the sense that people know only what they know and you have to present them with data. So I think that's point number one is, is sort of the cold, hard facts. And then point number two is looking at the emotional, psychological side. So we always call it, I can't probably say this on the air, but the SHIT sandwich, which is basically <laughs> you say something nice, 
then you provide something that's less than nice and negative, and then you wrap it with something nice again. And that's our little sandwich. So, you know, your apartment's beautiful. We love it. We think it's great. Unfortunately, based on, you know, the small third bedroom and, you know, the walk-up or whatever, we think it's only going to command 900, whatever the number is. Um, but we really do love it. It's, you know, it'd be great for our family. And we'd love to close by September 1 or whatever it is. And you wrap it together. And it's it sounds so silly, but it's the way that you deliver bad news. Absolutely. I've been doing it for do a long thing. time. Absolutely. And because people can't take it. It's an, it's an emotional pride thing more than it is a rational thing. I would say the vast majority of owners that we deal with in New York are quite affluent. Their pockets their pockets are quite well lined. And it's not about taking 100000 less or 500000 less. It's the emotional and psychological element of selling for less than I want to. It doesn't make me feel good. So you've got to make me feel better. And then, you know, the reality is you're not going to get a lot of them. But if you get one in 10 or two in 10 or what have you, it works. You, you can't get what you don't ask for. Well, well, perfectly said, because I remember back in my sales technology days, my, my, my agent, my, my manager used to tell us all, all the time, you aren't going to get the sale unless you ask for it, mm-hmm. right? Ask for the sale, because a lot of agents would come back and say, well, I don't know, I don't know how, I didn't get, you know, I'm not getting this, I didn't close the deal, whatever, and my boss would say, well, did you ask for the deal? Did right. you ask for the sale? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I didn't. Okay, there you go. The worst thing they can say is no. You don't get what you don't ask But for. also, you also these lowball offers, I mean, oftentimes once they're in the door, their emotions and their egos also take over. And so it's kind of on both sides where as long as you can start that conversation, you really don't know where it's going to yeah. go until you're in that zone with them. Mm-hmm. Right. So encourage those lowball offers. You really don't know. And if somebody is playing hardball, but they really love a place, you're going to be surprised to see how they might come up to a number that you never expected them to. It's not any different than being in a, in a very competitive market where you're over-asking prices and bidding wars. I started years ago having my, my buyers write personal letters to the seller. Yeah, mm-hmm. we do that too. Telling yeah. them why they really like their apartment. Uh, they saw X amount of apartments in their search. They really zeroed in on this one, blah, 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 whatever you say. But you know what? We uh, And I would say I was very successful in winning most of the bidding war opportunities. Not always, but you know most of them. Because of the personal letters, because you put something in writing, it's emotional. Somebody says, oh, they also have children. Oh, they also have a dog. Oh, my place is going to be perfect for them. Right. They're Maybe. a person, not a number. You know, that's, exactly. that's you got to change the conversation. 100%. And Anna is 100% correct. We always think about it like the further along you can get in the process, the more emotionally vested both sides get and the more likely you are to get a deal. Absolutely. So <clears throat> where, with all this said, I mean, where are we currently? And I'm asking this question every week because as we determine every week, we are in a week-to-week, day-to-day market. We're not in any specific market. So right. where are we this week, today, Tuesday, June 19th, with the marketplace? What's happening price-wise? Are I think- we getting more realistic? I think sellers are becoming more realistic. We have a m- number of sellers who are sort of acquiescing to the market today. I think they're coming to terms with reality. I think there's more liquidity in the market than there's been in recent months. I think that buyers are coming to the table more. Sellers are coming to the table more. Pricing has absolutely reset in most subsectors of the market. Um, but the liquidity is there. I mean, we're doing deals. Uh, we've got a bunch of listings coming on this summer at realistic pricing. People are staging. People are doing work. I think the sellers are recognizing the new reality for the most part, not across the board. Yeah, certainly not across the board, but it's interesting how you say because I remember, you know, when back when I started, you really didn't list anything this time of the year. It's June, July, August, kind of vacation months. Oh yeah, no more. Wait the, world the, the world has changed. The world has changed, changed yeah. and this is actually there's a no good seasonality time. anymore. No, not at all. I mean, the holidays factored in is a different story, but as far as seasons go, mm. do you think do you think that that has had an effect on the market over the years? Because I remember, you know, as a brand new agent, like these these guys here, but you know, 
we, I was conditioned to, to don't ever put anything, tell your seller you have to wait till after Labor Day. So I said, okay, you got to wait till after Labor Day. And sellers, for the most part, would listen and would understand that because that was the way you did things in those days. Uh, but do you think that has affected the marketplace where now anytime you have to list something, you just put it out there because there is should, no seasonality? I think you should also just be smart about it, right? We've, we're running into the summer months and a lot of people are gone on the, on the, on the weekend. So Sunday's open houses, you know, we, for me personally, have a couple listings and we're not getting as much traffic as we did a month ago. Right. So what that means is that we should move to a weekday open house because a lot of people are in town then. So because people can be anywhere and see the listings, they could be in the Hamptons, but also be saying, all right, on Tuesday, if there's an open house, I'm going to go to it. So if we're smart as brokers and we adapt, then the market will adapt with us. Yeah, mm-hmm. I always tell my sellers, um, you know, we can we can go on now. Absolutely, let's, let's go for it. But we have to listen to the market. The market has a voice. It has an energy and it speaks. And if you are good at what you do and you can kind of keep your ear to the grindstone there then you'll know how to adjust very quickly. I mean, the market is different. It's, it's slower than it was before where, you know, things are not selling in two to three weeks like they used to before. So that has shifted in, I think, a more healthy way um, because people are not looking at a listing that's been on for two weeks and thinking there's something wrong with it. So yeah, it's di- so it's different. True. It's different. Um, <laughs> Why but is it same- still available? Thirteen yeah. days on yeah. market. Yes. But at the same time, Niall is right. Like you really need to be smart about what you're doing and how you're doing it, and pay attention every single day. How many calls are you getting on this listing? Should we do something different marketing-wise? Should we, you know, um, I, I don't think it's more. I don't think it's as much season as it is what you do with the listing, and of course, price point. You've got to price properly. I mean, we've had some listings that have sat, 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 and then all of a sudden bidding wars. And I'm not kidding. This has happened to our last like three or four listings where out of no, I mean, we had one listing that nobody was coming to and it's a great loft. And all of a sudden we have multiple people bidding war got over us. That was after a price drop? Yes. I've noticed the same thing. Actually, I've been watching some comps for a specific seller of mine, um, and it seemed like they were all sitting for, you know, plus 100 days. And then all of a sudden, it was just like contract, contract, contract. Like, yep. That's that's what, what, you're, what you were saying before about the market just moving day to day, week to week. Can't you can't coin it. I mean, you, you really have to can't. pay attention. Yeah, you have to pay attention. And I think you need to be creative and you got to find ways if you are sitting. I mean, I put a new listing up two weeks ago, the first week, uh, first two weeks, I had um, zero attendance both Sundays. Last Sunday, the third open house, I had four people, which I declared a, a super success right. <laughs> because four people came. And, and actually, you know, maybe one is interested. We'll see. But it's kind of like you go from zero mm-hmm. to three or four. There's and no rhyme or reason success, to it. And you can't figure it out. You know. And there's something also counterintuitive about listing in the colder months and the warmer months. I don't know what you guys have found on your listings, but we put something on, let's say, in January. There's very little competing inventory. In some respects, it does better mm-hmm. because yeah. the buyers who are out there who are serious have less options. Correct. Um, They're looking for themselves now, too, whenever they can. Absolutely. So they're stuck indoors looking through the listings absolutely. online. They're not waiting. Yeah, yeah, so it can be mind. counterintuitive, but I think the other point is obviously it's it's specific to the property. You know, We have a bunch of properties that have huge terraces, so we're putting them on the market when the weather is beautiful, and that makes sense, even if the price points are high. Yeah, you certainly don't want it, unless you have to, put a, a beautiful terrace apartment out on the market in the middle of January. Exactly. I mean, I've, I've tried that, and it doesn't work. Right, so, you know, so it it's a little right. bit property per property, and it depends yeah, on the subsector and the price point and the neighborhood. Absolutely. Um, but the, yeah, the thing is, you could be sitting on a beach in Paris and looking at Street Easy, so the mm-hmm. whole world has shifted. And they do. And they do. <clears throat> Unfortunately, we are out of time. That's it for me today. This is our show. Thanks to my guests, as always, and the panel. 
Always remember how wonderful life is while you are in this world. Elton John, Bernie Taupin, for that. Be kind to one another. One another. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I'll see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.